Well, my name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors or elders here at Restored, if we haven't met before. And we are spending the summer in the Psalms, working our way through the Bible's prayer book or the Bible's hymn book, learning a little bit more about how to pray, about God, about different spiritual dynamics, and about life. And today what I wanted to do is I wanted to go through what is probably the darkest, most negative, and most hopeless of all 150 Psalms. You're welcome. So I think as we go through this today, you might be going, why would he, did he choose this? Was this assigned to him? What's going on? But Psalm 88 is an incredible chapter. I don't feel like I'm being a killjoy sharing this because personally, this chapter has encouraged my wife, Michelle, and I a lot over the last couple of years as we've gone through different moments and seasons of pain, suffering, hardship, discouragement. This Psalm has been something that has taught us a lot about life with God, about prayer, and about the dynamics of life in this world. And I hope as I share this today, this will help you. I hope this will help you to engage with God and to connect with God. And also, most importantly, to give you permission to come to God with some of the feelings and emotions and prayers that are inside of you. I believe that Psalm 88 is the kind of Psalm that can help you today, could change the way you pray, could change the way you engage with God. And it might help you to see like a moment from your past in a different way, or to help you in a moment you're in. Some of you maybe right now are in a Psalm 88 kind of moment, or maybe this can help you for the future as you endure different moments of waiting on God or confusion or uncertainty to find God in the midst of that moment. Lastly, my hope today in sharing this is that I'll help some of you just to read the scriptures with a new lens, a new way of coming to some of the passages in the scriptures that seem pretty dark and pretty confusing, like the passages with suffering and uncertainty and loneliness and disappointment and disorientation in them, help you to engage with those as you go through those kind of seasons in your own life. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 88 with me, otherwise it'll be up on the screen. But I just want to highlight that the subtitle in my version of the Bible is A Cry of Desperation. So again, this is going to be a real feel-good morning for all of us. Uh, get ready, but I promise you that this is the kind of psalm that can help you today. So let's read it. Psalm 88 verse 1. Lord God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. And I do just want to give a little bit of commentary as we go through this. Something we notice right there in verse 1 is that this person has continued a discipline or a habit of praying even through suffering and hardship. I cry out before you day and night. It seems that they've got set hours of prayer, uh, something which is uh, I guess pretty familiar in Christian history and tradition that throughout the day they would stop from what they were doing and come to God and pray and bring these things before them. And in this time of darkness and discouragement, what they've done is they haven't stopped praying, they haven't stopped coming to God. In fact, they've continued that and maybe even increased their times of coming to God because of their need for Him. Verse 2, May my prayer reach your presence, listen to my cry, for I have had enough troubles and my life is near Shoal. Shoal is the grave or death or the realm of the dead. And the psalmist is saying here, I feel like I am a dead man walking. I feel like I am the living dead. I feel like I want to die. I'm on the verge of death or like life is death. They're in a very dark and hard space. Verse 4, I am counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. They feel really, really weak. Emotionally, physically, as a whole, they feel weak. Abandoned among the dead, I am like the slain lying in the grave, whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. 
This person is saying that in the situation they find themselves in, it's hard for them to believe that God cares about them, that God is aware of what they're going through, or that God is hearing their prayers. Because if God does know, he can't even fathom how God would not get involved, how God would not respond, how God would not uh, interject into his situation to help him. He can't know. Otherwise, he's cruel or uncaring or unkind. How is God not getting involved in this? Verse 6, you have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. Salah. You have distanced my friends from me. You have made me repulsive to them. I am shut in and cannot go out. He's feeling lonely and rejected by God and by people. Very hard space to be in. My eyes are worn out from crying, Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you, Salah? Will your faithful love be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been suffering in near death. This has been a long-term situation for this person. We don't know how long, but years and years of hardship and suffering and challenge. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. So if you're new here today, if this is your first Sunday, welcome. It's great to have you here. Just wanted to share a really encouraging, like welcoming psalm to say, Restored loves you. And just, just shine some sunlight into your summer and just really bless you this morning. I think in our summer going through the psalms, this could be the dark cloud in the sky. This is a very dark, real, raw psalm. And even as I read that, I realize some things might pop for you. And I realize you might connect with this or struggle to connect with this in different ways. While we were praying for gathering today beforehand, one of the people praying said, this kind of psalm is the kind of thing we don't often allow ourselves to feel. You know, when we do start to feel these things or these things pop up, we'll just go to our phone. It's easier to go to our phone and distract ourselves than to feel these feelings, to bring these things before God, to go into them, to open up in these ways, which I'm sure some of you can relate to. We'd rather numb ourselves than go into these places with God or even on our own. In Psalm 88, we actually don't know what's going on. We, we don't know the context for this, which is maybe a gift to us because this could be your story or mine. We don't know what circumstances have led to the psalmist writing this out or praying this prayer. We just know that it's been a prolonged, hard period of time. And as we read this lament, something I, I want to remind you of, or maybe you didn't know this, is that 60% of the psalms are lament. 60% of the 150 psalms, 90 different psalms are lament, people pouring out their pain and confusion and doubt before God. And this is the darkest one. In fact, I don't know if you picked this up in Psalm 88, but there is not one positive uh, iota in that chapter. Everything is darkness. Everything is hard. There's no light. There's no ease in this chapter. And what we see is the psalmist writing and saying that they feel troubled, weak, overwhelmed, alone, lonely, rejected, helpless, and in the dark. And they are questioning God, saying, where are you, God? 
Why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you helping me? Everything is going wrong. Everything is hard. I don't understand. Don't you care? Have you forgotten me? Kind of what we find in Psalm 88 this morning. Again, some of you can relate to these things. You've prayed these prayers, maybe even recently. And get this. I think this is maybe one of the things that has stood out to me the most. Psalm 88 ends like this in verse 18 saying, Darkness is my only friend. The psalmist pours all of this out before God and then is left alone in the dark. Full stop. <laughs> That's it. Fade to black. Psalm 88, the darkest psalm, just fades to black with this full stop. And we're done. You know, I think probably most of us, if we were writing this, we would expect verse 18 followed by verse 19, follow up. But then God, you know, this ray of sunshine into the darkness of the psalm. But God came through. God showed up in my situation. God heard my prayer. But we don't get that. We just get full stop. This doesn't end with an ellipsis and continue into the more. It ends alone in the dark. And maybe some of us can think of moments in our lives where we've prayed that kind of prayer and then just gone to bed. You know, just that's the end of it. We, we don't have resolution. We don't have God coming through. There's no hope offered in the psalm. There's no glorious, satisfying resolution in the end. There's no buzzer-beating theophany where God shows up and God answers the prayer and God solves everything in a neat bow. And the psalmist can say, now I can continue with life. It's just pain and struggle and confusion and disorientation and uncertainty. So I don't know what goes through your mind as we read the psalm. Some of you are like, I can't wait to get out to lunch. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going to the beach after this. But when I read Psalm 88 and I see how rough and raw this is, I kind of think to myself, God, I, this doesn't feel comfortable. Like, I don't feel like this should be in your book. Like I, I've said to some people before, this feels like bad PR for God. Like if you read this, you're like, ooh, okay, this could be something I experience. This could be part of the spiritual life. I don't know if I want to be a Christian. I don't know if I want to follow this God. If I could have to pray Psalm 88, if I could go through these moments, I don't know if I'm here for this. I kind of think to myself, like the people of God have done enough bad in the name of God, let alone the fact that he includes this in Psalm 88. Like God's like, I'll put this in my book. I think this could be good for them. This just seems like a really rough Psalm to read through. But then reading that with these kind of question marks in my head, I realize that sometimes I pray these prayers. And even if I don't verbalize these things, I feel these feelings, these why questions, these doubts, these uncertainties, this pain, this hardship. And because of that, I'm so grateful that this is in here. Something that we can learn as we read through Psalm 88 is that God is a big boy, that God can handle what's going on inside of us. God is bigger than your emotions. God is bigger than your pain. God is bigger than your problems. God understands. And what I think is such a gift here is that this psalm almost feels like an invitation to us to come to him with pain and doubt and confusion and uncertainty and sadness, to come to him and bring those things to him in our honesty. God is not insecure. Psalm 88 shows us that God can handle what you need to bring to him. He's big enough to handle it. And I think what these Psalms that God has allowed into the Bible, again, I would edit this out. I'd say, no, Psalm 88, we'll, we'll do something more positive. What God has allowed in having this here, and not just allowed. It's not like God says, okay, I'll let it in. 
God co-authored Psalm 88 with the psalmist, the Spirit working together with them to write this. And He didn't just allow this into the Bible. He chose to put this in the Bible for us as a gift that in the moments in our lives when we relate to the psalm, we have something that we can pray because God knows we need to pray these prayers sometimes. God knows that we feel these ways and we need to pour this out before Him. As we saw in Psalm 42 a few weeks ago, that we pour out our soul before God. We pour out all of the stuff that is inside us before Him as an act of faith. I think that's what's so key to understanding and engaging with Psalm 88 and also the other Psalms of Lament is that these feelings, these emotions, these struggles, these doubts, these questions are things that the psalmists are bringing to God in faith. They're coming to Him with these things. They're not holding them to themselves. They're not going somewhere else. They're not listening to kind of podcasts which are deconstructing and doubting all of these things. They're not leaving God. They're coming to God. They're engaging with God. They're bringing these things to God and asking Him to meet them in the midst of what is going on. They're praying through their questions and hurts in the presence of God rather than going away from God and just getting stuck in this space. And the Psalms invite us to do this. The Psalms invite us to pray prayers that are not neat, that are not tidy, that are not polite. The Psalms invite us to pray prayers that maybe don't sound like the right things. They're not sanitized. They haven't been Christianized. They haven't been cleaned up yet. These are raw, unappealing, hard things that are being brought to God honestly in faith. Because when we don't do this, when we're not honest with God, we're pretending. Maybe even we're lying. We're, we're putting on our prayer face, putting on our game face for God or for church or for others. But the Psalms say you can take off the mask, you can stop pretending, you can speak honestly, you can be raw because God can handle what you need to bring to Him. This is an act of faith. Even in those dark, disturbing, discouraging, doubting moments, these prayers are an act of faith, engaging with God with what is going on inside. Have you been through an extended period of waiting on God, like the psalmist does in Psalm 88? Waiting on God without resolution, because this is a common theme throughout the scriptures. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, he writes about learning to wait on God. And he go, gives a whole list of different people throughout church history or in the scriptures that had to learn to wait on God for their prayers to be answered or for resolution to the crisis they were in. For example, Noah waited a very long time while he built the ark before it rained. And then after it rained, he was on the ark for a very long time before it stopped raining and the water started to subside and they could kind of rest the ark and open the door and get out. It was a long, long time. Or Abraham and Sarah, after God promised them a child, they waited 25 years. And then when they got the child, they still waited for the promise of God that their descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. This was a promise God gave them that they had to wait two and a half decades to even begin to start to see being lived out. What about Joseph? He has those dreams from God about how God is going to use him. And then he waits 20 years, and most of that time is in hardship. He's in prison. He's in servitude. He's in a pit. He's in slavery. He's in struggles until God brings him through all of that to use him in the way that he's spoken to him about. Or Moses waits 40 years before being called by God to set the people free 
from Egypt. And then he has another 40 years of leading them before they go into the promised land. Or Hannah waiting years for her prayers to be answered about the birth of a child. Or Elizabeth waiting decades before the birth of her son, John. Or Job waiting years, not months, for God to resolve just the pain and struggle he's in and hear his prayers and give him comfort. But to kind of animate and put flesh and blood on what's going on Psalm 88 today, I want to look, to look at the apostles. I want to look at Jesus' disciples, his followers, and the waiting they did between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday on that Saturday, where they just waited in confusion, uncertain about what was going on. So it's an amazing moment of them wrestling in the Psalm 88 moment of praying prayers, of being confused, of not knowing what is going on. So let's look at their example for a second. In the Easter story, we know about Friday and Sunday, but the Saturday is known as Black Saturday or Holy Saturday. It's a dark day of confusion and uncertainty where absolutely nothing happens. It's often overlooked because of that. You know, nothing happens on the Saturday. All the action's on the Friday, all the action's on the Sunday. But in the Saturday, something very significant is going on. Saturday is this in-between day, this dot day, this middle child in the Easter story between the two huge moments of the cross and the open tomb. And in that moment, nothing is going on. Nothing is happening, but so much is going on behind the scenes. So what happened? Martin Luther says that that Saturday was the day that God himself lay cold in the grave. Friday was death. Sunday was hope. But this Black Saturday was a day that God himself occupied a dirty grave in a little garden outside Jerusalem, to quote A.J. Swoboda. Just a wild moment in the story of the world, a wild moment in the Jesus story. And his disciples obviously experienced his death in this very visceral way because they were so close to him. They traveled with Jesus and spent every day for three or so years with him. They knew him so well. They loved him, and now they've lost him, and it's final. Have you ever thought about how they felt? You know, death is obviously a very final moment. I'm sure most of us in this room have experienced that in different ways. But when death comes, it's the end. We can't have those conversations we wanted to have. We can't have that hug, just smell that person's smell. We can't laugh together again, enjoy these moments together. And when Jesus died, the disciples knew that was true for them. He was gone. I'm sure some of you are maybe thinking of people that you miss. Just the finality of death in your life. I know a recent experience for us was my grand died at 95 during the COVID pandemic. And it was just a weird time of disconnection and isolation for everyone. We hadn't been able to introduce her to our daughter. Uh, we hadn't seen her in a while. And when she went, our family was kind of scattered all over the place, unable to see one another. But we could share photos and videos and memories and talk about her. And I remember sharing this video that I'd taken of her when I'd gone to visit her, where she just spoke about her dogs. She was a real dog lover, this woman. And she just speaks for minutes about these dogs that she loved and just the moment she'd had with them. I think when I think of her name was Helen, I just think of her with her dogs at her feet, sitting on a seat. And I remember sending that to my dad. It was something he'd never seen before, and it was a memory he got to enjoy of her. But when death comes, there are no more new memories. So we can look back and remember, but that's all we've got. And for Jesus' disciples on Black Saturday, they are processing the fact that he is gone. It is over. Their time with him is done. It's so final. And I think of how they would have felt on Friday night after finding this out, after seeing him die on the cross, 
whether they were able to sleep or whether they had nightmares or whether it was just this anxious evening of like tossing and turning in bed. And then on the Saturday, waking up, maybe with a smile on their faces, oh, it's the weekend, only to realize what happened yesterday was real. It's not a bad dream. Jesus is really gone. What do we do now? What do we do with our lives now that he's gone? This realization that everything has changed. For you and I, when we read the Jesus story and we look at that moment, that weekend, we look at it backwards. You know, we look at it through the lens of the resurrection and the cross. We're like, it's going to be fine, guys. Don't worry. Sunday's coming. He's going to resurrect. It's going to be really, really good. But they're in the thick of it. We're looking backwards through history. They were looking forwards, uncertain of what was going to come. I, um, I was at the Restored South Bay men's retreat uh, this weekend. And I went and saw them, and I was just hearing about what they were up to. And for some reason, they chose on Friday and Thursday night to watch horror movies together. So I was like, whoa, okay, I didn't know. This is what, Ethan's excited. I don't know. This is what guys did at men's retreats, but okay. Um, and one of the guys, Eric Davis, who some of you know, he was instigating this whole thing, getting it going. And the reality with horror is that it's really scary the first time you watch a horror movie. You don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. You know, like through the music building and the camera angles changing, you're like, something's coming. I don't know what's coming, but something's coming and it's not going to be good. But around 85 minutes, it kind of resolves. And the mask comes off, they catch the bad guy or they kill the bad guy. And you know, it's fine. <laughs> Everything is safe. It's okay until they release the sequel or whatever it is. <laughs> but once you watch a horror movie again or a third time or a fourth time, there's no fear. You know what's coming. You, you know what's going to happen. You don't have to worry about this guy jumping out behind the curtain or, or whatever it might be. And that happens with us as we read the Bible, as we get familiar with these stories. We know what's coming. We know what's going to happen. You know, we, we see Noah's uncertainty about the future with this rain and this ark and all of these things. We, we see Hannah's pain, just desiring this child. We, we see Joseph uncertain when he's in prison, when he's falsely accused, when he's suffering. God, you gave me this dream, but it's not being resolved. And then in one or two pages, we turn over, we've read it all, and we see resolution. It's this quick thing. We move through their Black Saturdays, their Psalm 88 moments so quickly, whereas these would have been so real for them. But when we go through these moments on our own, this can take months or years before these are resolved. And think about Jesus' disciples in that moment. It might have been one day between the Friday and the Sunday, but their lives had completely changed. They'd given up everything to follow this man. They believed in him. They believed his message. They saw him preach it to huge crowds, people gathering to hear him teach and hear his wisdom and believe in this message, this good news about the kingdom of God. They saw the miracles. They saw the healings. They saw demons cast out. They sat with them around fires. They were all in. They burnt bridges with their old life and followed him. And now Jesus is gone. And you can imagine these question marks in their head. We believed him, gave up everything to follow him, and we must have been wrong. He's not who he said he was. He's gone. This whole thing's over now. What do we do with our lives? What do we do with our future? Was I wrong to believe in this thing, to believe in this man, to believe he was savior? Who am I? What, what can I trust in just this complete disorientation on the Saturday before the resurrection of the Sunday? They would have been questioning everything. And for these disciples, what happens is when he dies, they give up on what they had been doing. 
what they devoted their lives to, advancing this message. You can imagine how exciting it would have been traveling with Jesus, feeling like you're part of seeing the kingdom of God come on earth. You're part of this really exciting, explosive movement that's just popping up everywhere, and then it's over. And what they do overnight is they go back to their old lives. They go back to fishing. They go back to doing what they used to do. It's like, okay, we tried this thing and it didn't work, so we're going to stop and we're just going to do what we know, what's familiar. If I put it in another way, it's like they unrepented. They stopped living by faith. They stopped living as disciples. They stopped walking the way Jesus had taught them and then went back to their old way, the, the way that was familiar, the way that was comfortable. And many of us do the same thing. When we go through a Psalm 88 kind of period in our lives, when we go through a Black Saturday when we don't know what's going on and we don't know where God is and we don't understand what's happening, it's like we can go back to our old ways. Our eyes come off of Jesus, go onto the things around us, go back to our old ways, our old coping mechanisms. We try and deal with what we're going through and we just experience this pain and disappointment on our own without God. The apostles are not a good example of what to do in a moment like this, but they are a really relatable bunch. <laughs> we see ourselves in them with the way they handle these things. Psalm 88 seasons of life or Black Saturdays are days of waiting and uncertainty and pause. Saturday is not about knowing what's going to happen. Saturday is ambiguity. It's about muddling through and the future isn't clear, but doing this by faith. So I want to give you four things that we can do to respond if we find ourselves in this kind of moment. Psalm 88 moment, a Black Saturday moment, ways that we can engage when we don't know what to do. The first is this. Saturdays are about sitting in loss. The disciples woke up to the fact that Jesus was gone and their lives as they knew them had changed and they didn't know what to do. And they needed to sit in that loss and grieve it and process that. For you right now, if you're in a moment of loss or questioning or doubt, how do you, how do you sit in that and engage? Well, something that I found really encouraging, this is a quote by John Stott. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? And one of the things we see is that on the cross, Jesus suffered. Jesus endured pain and difficulty and discomfort, which means he can relate to our suffering. He understands what it is like. He hasn't held himself off from that so that he can relate to us when we go through deep pain ourselves. Jesus is not out of touch with our feelings and our experiences. He knows them because he has experienced them personally. In Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And my encouragement to you is if you're in a Psalm 88, Black Saturday type of moment, that you would continue as you sit in the loss, the questioning, the doubt, that you would continue to come to the one who understands better than anyone else. The one who can sympathize and empathize and meet you in that space. Come to him by faith. Secondly, Saturdays are quiet. I come from a very charismatic and Pentecostal background. We love a word from the Lord, something from the Bible or from the Spirit. And I'm sure most of us do too. We love it when we feel like God speaks to us. We love it when on Sundays there's something that personally just stands out to us that we take home. 
We love it in a conversation where it's like someone shares something with us that feels like a word from the Lord, something specific to us right in this moment. And we see in the Jesus story that on the Friday, he spoke from the cross. On the Sunday, he speaks just outside of the tomb. But on the Saturday, he's completely silent. God was nowhere to be seen or heard on Saturday. God was at work that whole weekend. He was doing the greatest work in the history of mankind. He's working out redemption and salvation personally and cosmically. But in the midst of that work, God did not speak for one third of the time. That is amazing to me. God speaks on Friday, he speaks on Sunday, but he's completely quiet on the Saturday. And we need to learn from those kind of times too, because we will go through times where God seems silent, where we don't hear God speaking to us personally. Because when God isn't speaking or it doesn't sound like he is, it doesn't mean he's not working. And just because we can't see what God is doing, it doesn't mean he's not doing anything. And just because God doesn't feel close, it doesn't mean his presence has left us. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love us deeply. And just because what is going on around us looks more like death than life, it doesn't mean that what God is doing isn't going to lead to something beautiful and powerful and alive. Saturday spirituality seems like God has left us, but he hasn't. Because on Saturday, God is close, but so far away. Thirdly, Saturdays are about waiting. Who in this room enjoys a good wait? No one. Well, there probably are one or two of you. I know you contrarians, you're like, yeah, I love to wait. I um, am not the most patient person in the world. And I think just waiting five minutes for someone can feel like such a pain. You know, like you just want to be productive. You want to do something. You want to feel like you're achieving. So even just tap my foot, you know. It's moving, like movement's going on, things are happening, I'm tapping my foot, pull out my phone, just look at an app, read something, read an article, go on Twitter. Something I check often is my pedometer, just how many steps have I done today? Feels like a good way to use my time while I'm waiting for something that's going on. Just not sit, not wait, not do nothing. We don't like waiting, and Saturdays are days of waiting. It's a countercultural art in our day. I think that's why we don't like Saturday spirituality. And some of us know we're in these periods of waiting right now. We're waiting on God. We're in a black Saturday. We're not sure what's happening. We feel out of control. The future seems very unknown. And we're just waiting with God in the midst of these things. And it's really uncomfortable. I think a lot of us would rather do a Friday or a Sunday. We'll do death. We'll do resurrection. We'll do activity and busyness. We don't want to do nothing. We don't want to be unbusy, unhurried, unrushed. But waiting and silence and uncertainty on Saturdays are something that we need to make time for. It's one of the ways God works in our lives. And lastly, Saturdays are about uncertainty. I just said I'm impatient, but I also love clarity. I love to dot the I's, cross the T's. And I know if you're type A in this room, you're on the same page. You're like, yeah, clarity, let's do that. Let's talk about what's coming. I love to plan. I love to think strategically. I love to kind of know what's coming next. And I can tell my daughter's why the same as me. In the mornings, what she says to me, first thing when she gets up is, Dad, what are we doing today? And before I put her down for a nap or at night, she says, like, what are we doing after this nap? She, she wants to know. She wants to prepare. She wants to start to engage, you know? So not having clarity, not knowing what the next season is going to look like, not knowing what's coming up can be a really frustrating thing for me. And that's what living in Psalm 88 Saturday spaces looks like. Not being sure about the future. Not knowing what God is doing. 
not knowing where God is in your life, but still holding on to Him by faith. My encouragement to you right now is if you feel so uncertain about your life, like the future feels unclear, you don't know what to do, my encouragement to you is to hold on to God as closely as you can because He is bigger than your circumstance. He is bigger than the future. He is bigger than the question you want answered. God is bigger. He knows and He is in control, even if you feel out of control. Lastly, Black Saturday, you can only imagine what a hard day that would have been for the disciples. When I put myself in that space, it feels so stressful and so overwhelming to me. Not only are they feeling the emotional pain and sadness and trauma of what's happened on the Friday, but they're just so uncertain about their lives. You know, they're sad about Jesus, but they're also like, what does this mean for me? What am I going to do about this? But what the scriptures tell us is that joy would come in the morning. There was a resurrection around the corner. There was life that was about to be birthed through the pain and the waiting of the Saturday. The hope on Sunday comes after the uncertainty of Saturday. And that's my encouragement to you today is that if you are sitting in the waiting of Psalm 88, if you are sitting in the waiting of a black Saturday, that there is hope ahead, that God does lead us through, that this will not be the entire season, but that we do need to wait and trust in Him. And what I'd love you to do before we stand or worship or take communion, if I can ask the band to come up, is I'd love you to take a moment to bring whatever is on your heart and mind before God now. I shared this earlier, but in Psalm 42, it says that we pour out our souls before God. The ESV translation of Psalm 88 verse 3 talks about our souls being troubled. And right now, if you've got a question, if you've got a doubt, if you've got a trouble, I'd almost love us to begin a process of practicing what we see in Psalm 88, of coming to God by faith with that thing. So if you can close your eyes where you are, some of you may be a feeling, I don't know where God is. I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what he's doing. But maybe just in the next two minutes, you can bring that question or that doubt or that pain or that hurt before him by faith as an act of defiance against the, the control you, you want to have, the certainty you want to have, the self-sufficiency you want to have to come to him with that thing and ask him about it. And I hope you feel the encouragement of the psalm to bring the things that are on your mind and hearts before God. We're going to go into communion in just a second. And what I thought of as I thought about this moment of communion is that when Jesus was on the cross, the sky went dark. It was a moment of darkness as the world grieved God's death. And I just think of that moment where Jesus went into darkness, that we could come into the light of salvation in him. And as we come to the table today, there's a moment to remember his sacrifice for us, his death for us, that he actually made a way that we could come into the fullness of life, the fullness of life, the fullness of truth that is in him. And this morning, separately, you may need to continue to wrestle with Psalm 88, wrestle with the Black Saturday that you're in or you faced or you may face. But now is a moment to take hold of Jesus who is an anchor for our souls, to take hold of Jesus who has been through the darkness for us, to take hold of Jesus who is our certainty in the midst of uncertainty and the unknown.
So if there is anything you want to bring to him now, any sin, anything you want to repent of, anything you want to ask, if you want to be reminded of his goodness and what he's done for you on the cross, take a moment to see that or to hand that over to him.